The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. And uh, would you take your Bibles now, if you're able to, or a device that has the Scripture on it, and would you turn in the book of Romans to uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses uh, 16 to 18 this morning. Romans chapter 1. And reading verses 16 to 18. We're glad that you can join us this morning. Let's hear the word of the Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The word of the Lord to us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just pause right now to ask you to illuminate your word to our minds and hearts. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the incredible love that you have poured out in your Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you for what you have done, you are doing, and what you will do. And we pray that you will unveil more, Holy Spirit, to us today about this precious truth that we call the gospel, that that you called the gospel, the good news of uh, your message. And so open our minds now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read an illustration some time ago about the captain of a large naval vessel, and uh, he was uh, seeing a light directly ahead of his ship on a collision course. And so he radioed, uh, signaled to the vessel, alter your course 10 degrees south, And uh, the reply came quickly back saying, alter your course 10 degrees north. So the captain responded by saying in the signal, alter your course 10 degrees south, I am a captain. And to which the reply came back from the other vessel, alter your course 10 degrees north, I am a seaman third class. Well, by now the captain is getting a little annoyed and so He responded with, alter your course 10 degrees south, I am a battleship. And the reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. (laughs) We are about to enter a section of the Word of God of Scripture that God is appealing to us to alter our courses and not expect us to alter uh, his course to ours, but ours to his. And uh, it, is, it is meant to be a warning. It is a scripture that we're entering that's a warning to humanity that God has a fixed truth, a reality that is best for us as our creator he knows. And he is saying, alter your course to my course. It is best for you. My prayer is that as we study in the coming weeks the scripture that we're going to be looking at, that we will, by the Spirit's leading, 
uh, be able to alter our course and make mid-course corrections even as believers if we see that we need to adjust. For the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And that's the God that we worship in Christ. So we're going to be looking uh, in the coming weeks at talking about uh, the Ro- Romans chapter 1 and understanding the progression of thought that the Apostle Paul has in mind and, and really putting forth a case at the beginning of this message against humanity. That's what he's doing. And today is really an introduction. We're going to be talking about verse 18 mostly, that the wrath of God is being revealed against unrighteousness and ungodliness. We're going to be talking about that verse. Then next week, we're going to be talking about a phrase that is used a few times in this scripture that God has, that God has left people, humanity, without excuse. In verses 19 and 20, God has left himself a witness. Uh, creation bears witness. Our conscience bears witness. God is knowable, and we can pursue him. And so next week, we're going to be talking about this idea of the fact that we are without excuse. Then the following week, we will look at this phrase that is used three times that, that people, instead of opting to choose God and know God, who is knowable, have made an exchange. And um, they have exchanged, for example, in verse 23, the glory of God for the images that they worship. And they have exchanged, verse 25, the truth of God for lies. In verse 26, that they have exchanged natural relations for unnatural relations sexually. And um, that is going to be a heavy scripture to look at. And then, finally, in February 7th, they, we will be looking at this phrase that is used also three times. And that is that because of fallen humanity's unwillingness to bend and alter to, to God's course, there comes a time in Scripture, it tells us that there comes a time when God will give over, or God has given over people to the desires of their own hearts and, and um, it, uh, verse 24, he gives them over to the lusts of their hearts. In verse 26, it's uh, to dishonorable passions. And then finally in verse 28, to a debased or a depraved mind. And so uh, a heavy road ahead, needless to say, as we look at the bad side of the good news. And today we will begin to introduce and unpack that. I'd like to present three words this morning to us that kind of describe the gospel, the message of Christ uh, in these verses. And, and the first one I want to describe is, is it's a revealed faith. The, the scriptures that give us the, the gospel tell us of its revealedness. And the word that's used in ver- both verse 17 and in verse 18, parallel, is that the righteousness of God is revealed... As well in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. These are parallel ideas that Paul has put forth in verse 17 and 18. And the same word is used. The word is apocalypsis, which is apocalyptic. It's the the word for the last book of the Bible, revelation. It means to, to reveal, to unveil something that has been hidden. God's righteousness has been revealed, made known through Jesus... And God's wrath is being revealed as sinful humanity persists on a godless course. 
And so Paul is not talking in verse 18 about the, the day of wrath, the day of judgment. He'll talk about that later on in chapter 2, verse 5. In several weeks we'll be looking at that. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. That's a different thing than what 18 is talking about. We are talking here about uh, the revealing of God's wrath ongoingly as people persist in a sinful course of action. And so, in verse 18, wrath is a present reality. The wrath of God is being revealed against a society or an individual that refuses to acknowledge God. We see it in our own culture. We see God's wrath being revealed when God is going to be slowly giving over people to the desires of their hearts. And in fact, the history of every civilization, the history of every culture, is that eventually God does finally give them over to what they so desperately want in place of him. But God's righteousness is also being revealed as people awaken to the God who created them and loves them and has sent his son to save them. And so that's the first thing is it's a revealed faith. The second thing, the word is righteous it's a righteous faith. If you have a Bible or a device that has the Scripture, and I would like you to take it right now, open up your Bible. You at home, there's a few of you in the room here. Open up your Bible to Romans chapter 1. And uh, if you would take your index finger and point to the very first word of verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. It is the word for, likely, in your translation. If you would take your index finger and now go to verse 17 and point to the very first word, you will find, likely, the word for. If you go to the next verse of verse 18, you will likely, in the very first word, find for. Go to verse 19, you'll find for. Verse 20, for. Verse 21, for. Paul is using a couple of Greek words interchangeably, they're called conjunctions, and it's the idea of continuing an argument that he's building. Paul is using the grammar of this language here to build a case like a good lawyer. And then you'll notice in verse 24, after a whole bunch of fours, he says, therefore, and that is this summarizing of the entire thing and the drawing of some conclusions that he is making in this scripture. We will begin to look next week at the verses that I just quoted about uh, verses 16 to 21. But in, interestingly, in this whole idea, the, the two concepts that are being contrasted are righteousness and unrighteousness. And we're not talking here that Paul is not saying that if, if you live a really righteous life, God will spare you sending his wrath upon you. And if you don't live a righteous life, then God's wrath will be upon you. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He is saying very clearly that there has been a righteousness that has been revealed. It's God's righteousness. It's only available through faith, completely, faith in Jesus. And if that's not the righteousness that you're found with, then you are going to be found in your unrighteousness, and you will therefore be under the wrath of God instead of the mercy of God. 
This is the argument that Paul is making. And to make it, he has to prove, as we're going to see next week, that people are therefore without excuse because what is known about God is knowable. And God has made himself known. Now, it's important to understand the nature of God's anger or wrath. There's two Greek words that could be used for wrath or anger. The one is thumos, where we get our word thermometer or thermos from. It's things that are hot. That kind of anger is a blood-red hot anger. It's a blow-up kind of anger. That's not the, the anger used here of God's wrath. The other word is orge, which has the idea of a settled heart condition that is under control. This is the wrath of God that is being revealed. It is a settled condition of who God is being exercised. God is not a fly-off-the-handle kind of God. Then let's move on to look at a reasonable faith. It is a righteous faith, a revealed faith, but also the gospel is reasonable. And um, we see in verse 18, for example, that the ungodly and the unrighteous suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. We see in verse 25 that these same people exchange the truth for a lie. And then in verse 28, it says that if they persist, God will give them over to what is called a debased or depraved mind. You see, the, the faith that God has made known to us is a reasonable faith. It's based on the truth of God. The word truth here is, is the word that is referring to not just something like speaking the truth in a courtroom. This is the truth that is reality. This is the truth of what exists. This is reality in its truest form. The truth of God by unrighteousness is trying to be suppressed the reality of God, of the moral code that God has written on our hearts. It is trying to be suppressed. And that word suppress has the idea of to hold, to detain, to not allow to go free and live and breathe. And so what happens is in this verse 28, which we'll look at in about a month, is this, this, this depraved mind, this debased mind is given over, which means that it's, it's an illogical mind. You can't even use reason to that mind because that mind will be, a, will be given over by God. So logic will not work. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where logic didn't seem to play out, where common sense didn't seem to play out and work? I've had several conversations like that about faith and about other things as well. For example, take, I remember one time talking about the matter of abortion. And uh, in the same conversation, a person used the idea of a, a woman's pregnancy really having to do with fetal mass. And in the same conversation, this same person referred to another pregnancy as a, a sweet little baby. And the difference was that in the first case, it was an unwanted baby by the, the mother, and in the second case, it was a wanted baby, making the one a fetal mass tissue and the other a wanted baby. This is nonsensical, folks. This defies logic. This is a mind that is given over. Think about assisted dying as well. 
I mean, here we are as a society investing money on suicide prevention. And yet at the same time, we have before our courts, before the, 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 the assembly in Ottawa, a bill to be passed that will change the laws, Bill C-7, and, and make assisted dying more readily available. Now, can you imagine the absurdity of this, the nonsensical nature of this? Imagine that you're walking along and you see someone standing on the edge of a bridge ready to fall 100 feet onto hard ice. What are you going to say? You're going to say, you, you need to stop. Think, think, think this through. You don't really want this. I do want this. No, 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 don't, don't, come off. Why? Come to the hospital, we'll do it the right way. You can do it today. Bill C-7. It's nonsensical. What is it that says that because of something called Bill C-7, a physician can end your life or you can end it yourself, and that person wants it and that person wants it? What's the difference? That is the stupidity of the society that we're leading into, this, this un unveiling of a mind that is depraved, debased, given over. Did you know that last year, 2019, that one in every 50 deaths in Canada was because of assisted dying? Medically assistance in dying. Folks, what's the, what's the key here in this debased mind? It is, do you want it or do you not want it? Does this woman want this pregnancy or does she not want this pregnancy? Does this person want to die? Does this person not want to die? It's not about what God wants. For these individual people, the baby within the womb that was created in God's image, the individual that feels like they're at the end of their life and they don't want to keep living, this is not about God anymore. This is about what humanity wants. God says, you keep on that. You keep on that. I'm going to give you over to that. It's a debased mind. Paul has to build a case here. And he's building a case to prove that what is knowable about God is upon us. And we're going to be held responsible for it. Well, we're going to come to some of those ideas more um, I wanted to simply say at this point that these three words describe the faith, the gospel that Paul is presenting, a revealed faith, a, a, a righteous faith, and a reasonable faith. Let's move on, and I, I feel like before we really get down a little further into verse 18, I want to go way up, 30,000 feet, and I want us to look down at the entire gospel, the whole gospel, the whole message of what Jesus Christ has given us. And um, step back for a moment and think, where does the anger of God fit into this entire message of the gospel, which we've always heard is God is love. Well, of course he is. Where does the anger of God fit into the entire message? Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, I did not hesitate to preach to you the whole counsel of God, the whole message. The whole gospel. What is the whole gospel? I'd like to propose to you three things that, well, first of all, I'll tell you, Charles Spurgeon, I love this. He says, it is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And I'd like to propose to you this morning that we could describe the gospel uh, in three, three big ideas. 
really two, but three. <clears throat> good news, bad news, good news is the way we're going to describe it. And it starts in Genesis with the good news. The good news is that God created humans in his image and after his likeness. Male and female, he created us. And um, God wanted children. God wanted children. He wasn't lonely. He wanted children because he wanted to display his love to his creatures in a special way. He wanted a close relationship, the kind that could not be had with animals or plant world. And so for a time, our forebears, Adam and Eve, had this incredible intimate walk with God. <laughs> they actually walked with God. Imagine that. They, they had this intimacy, undisturbed friendship. They knew him. They were known by him. They knew each other. They were known by each other. They were naked and unashamed. No shame. We can hardly imagine what this world was like, this paradise of God that God created humans in. Such love, intimacy, trust. They were allowed by God to have anything they wanted <clears throat> except one tree they could not eat from. <clears throat> one tree. But Adam and Eve were not created as programmed robots. Adam and Eve <clears throat> were not created as puppets on a string. Since they were created in God's image, then they had to, like we do, have the ability, like God does, to choose things, have a will. How could they do that? They had to have a will. They could follow God or they could follow some other voice. They could listen to God's voice or some other voice. You see, the point is that how could true faith in or love for God be, be truly tested or proven if there wasn't the possibility of choosing not to put faith in God and not to love God? How could that be choos chosen? How could that be reality if there was no possibility of actually disobeying God or not loving God, and I was just a, a little puppet on a string. And so following this good news is the first entrance of bad news in the entire gospel story, and that's found in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, our forebears, did disobey God. They did exercise that will. They bought the lie that Satan gave them. They picked the forbidden fruit. They drank the Kool-Aid. They did not believe that what God was offering to them was the best life possible for a human. They did not believe that the one who created them knew the best for them, and they thought that they knew better themselves. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged it, this word that we've already talked about. They exchanged the life that God offered to them for the one that they thought might be better. And as soon as they disobeyed, their eyes were opened, it says. Now, what does that mean? Well, their eyes were opened to the fact that they were naked and they felt ashamed somehow and they, they covered up from each other. And, and it says in the same scripture that when God came walking in the garden, they hid from God. 
They hid from each other, they hid from God, and we have been hiding from each other and from God ever since. It's what sin does to us as humans. It is what shame causes as a result of sin. If only there was some kind of a gene, some chromosomal, just some, something about humanity that could be extracted from us. You know, find the sin gene, and it could be dealt with. If only it could be removed through some kind of a genetic mutation, a, a change, a surgery. But there is no such operation. If only there was a sin vaccine that we could use to immunize us from selfishness and pride and insecurity and arrogance and meanness. There is no such vaccine. Many, many years ago, Albert Einstein, believe it or not, the physicist, in a lecture in 1948, said that the true problem lies in the hearts and thoughts of men. It is not physical, but an ethical problem. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart. Einstein had the right diagnosis. I'm not sure he ever came to the right remedy. And then also, Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago says, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate ourselves from the rest of them and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? So there's no, there's no gene that can be removed to remove sin from us. And it's not like, it's not like the coronavirus. Sin is not like the coronavirus. That somehow we just got to stay away from the people that have been infected. It's not like that. <clears throat> it's not like you have it or you don't have it. There are not some sinners and some who are righteous on this earth. And somehow we, just, we righteous need to avoid the sinners. That's just a, a religious foolishness. No, we're all sinners. We all have the virus called sin. We are all symptomatic. We're not pre-symptomatic. We're not asymptomatic. Folks, we are symptomatic. Every day of our lives, the symptoms of sin upon us, this viral infection, is lived out in ways that we don't even see. That's what sin does. Selfishness. Living for self. And, and we're foolish enough, we're foolish enough to think that, again, it's like COVID, that somehow there's, there's different viral loads of sin. That, well, if I just, I, I'm, not, I'm not as bad as that guy. And, and we take pride in comparing ourselves with somebody else. And the fact is, the Bible says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have the same viral load. You might be better at holding back the symptoms of sin and not showing them to everybody else, but we all are in need of a desperate grace that can only come from heaven. God has provided a vaccine. 
There is no human cure. This is the bad side of the good news. The bad side of the good news is there is no human cure. There is no vaccine. There's no treatment. There's no immunization. There's no amount of human effort like we sang in that first song. No amount of what we do could ever save us, help us, make us righteous before God. But thank the Lord, he did not leave us hopeless or helpless in this condition. He has done something to restore us, to reconcile our friendship. It had to be, though, done on his side. And that is, that is a very important part of the gospel, the Christian message. It, it could not be done from our side. It had to be initiated from his side. It's like if someone sins against you, you really have to be the one that, that it's resolved on your side. You have to forgive. They can't undo what they did to you. Forgiveness is on your side to heal the relationship. And forgiveness always costs. And it's no different with God. Forgiveness cost the Son of God to, do, to go to the cross. And so the entire good news is that there's good news. We've fallen, there's bad news. And now the good news, again, is that God has taken the initiative to undo what was done by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Our sin is so pervasive that the very fibers of our being, every part of our nature is infected with this virus. It's called total depravity, or some people prefer total inability. We can't do anything to help ourselves in this. We can't save ourselves. And so God has done it. God has provided the vaccine. He's taken the initiative. He sent his son Jesus Christ, who not only died in our place as an exchange, but he lived the perfect life so that his death was worthy of forgiving sinners. Major Ian Thomas said when he said that for the first time since Adam fell into sin, there was on earth a man as God intended man to be, Jesus why, maybe do you ask, why, why was it necessary for Christ to die? Perhaps that's a question that's on your mind. Why couldn't God just say, okay, in my love and in my mercy, I'm just going to overlook their sins? You know, pretend or sweep them under the rug. Well, that's not God. You need to understand the nature of God. He is both holy and loving. In his love, he wants to save sinners, give us an opportunity for redemption. But in his holiness, he cannot tolerate sin he cannot play with it pretend with it it has to be really dealt with and so there's two problems he has to <clears throat> he has to overcome in order to offer us salvation he has to first of all deal with sin and he then has to deal with the sinner and there's no verse better that I can think of that talks about both of these as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where we read that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the first half of that verse deals with, with sin. He made Jesus actual sin and crucified him on the cross. And in so doing, it says as well in that verse that he has made us in him the righteousness of God. Incredible. This is the incredible message. Jesus was made sin who was already sinless. He was made sin, and I who am a sinner was made righteous. The exchange has taken place. The substitution. 
Incredible, incredible message. One author says the, this, the, the core essence of the gospel is its tremendous and glorious revelation of how deadly is God's hatred of sin so that he cannot even stand having it in the same universe as himself. And so he goes to any length, any price, any sacrifice to abolish it. How love, how loving God is. Friends, it is grievous today. It should grieve our hearts today to know that there are people right next door to us, people around us, people that we know, we see every day, that do not acknowledge this living God and this loving offer of salvation that he has given in Christ. It's an incredible gift. What is even more grievous to us, perhaps, is that there are professing Christians naming themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, or whole churches and denominations in this world that do not embrace the true gospel, the whole gospel of the good news, the bad news, and then the good news. What they have done is they've tried to smudge out the bad news altogether. But friends, when we do that, there's no real good news. What is there good news for if there's no bad news? And so... 200 years ago, it started to get on the rise as liberal theology started to take off. And uh, almost 100 years ago, a man by the name of Richard Niebuhr described theological liberalism this way. He said, A God without wrath brought human beings without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. What is that? That's nonsense. That's what many people are preaching, teaching, believing. And and Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, the whole gospel, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This gospel that Niebuhr is describing, that's not a gospel at all. Well, Let's move on to talk about what God is angry about. Verse 18, again in Romans 1. Two words are used, ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's in a summary way what God is angry about. By the way, this picture that I have up on the screen is um, a picture from the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. Michelangelo painted it. And it's funny because when you talk about the anger of God, if you were just Google anger of God or something like that, you will find this picture keeps on popping up as if that is somehow just showing God as an angry God. But you know what? This is actually being painted by Michelangelo describing creator God, describing him creating the sun and the moon. Anyway, we're going to stay with this picture, but I just wanted to clarify that's not angry God. That's creator God. So these two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness, have their opposites. The opposites are obvious, godliness and righteousness. What is God angry at? Everything that is opposed to God and godliness, everything that is opposed to right and righteousness. That's what God's angry with. And so when people choose, they plant their flag, they choose to live in that way and ignore God or ignore what is right, then God is angry it's not surprising to me that, that the, uh, 
greatest commandments that Jesus gave, two greatest commandments. One is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second, like it, love your neighbors yourself. You see, ungodliness is mainly not reverencing God and unrighteousness is not loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So one is a, a vertical sin against God. One is a horizontal sin against humanity and others. And that's what God is angry at. And the clever way that humans have tried to get around this is to simply redefine morality and redefine sin in our culture. We're not the first culture that has done this, but so often we call something that is sick, sinful, we call it sick. And, and we get away with that. Courts are changing the diagnosis. Lost people today are given a diagnosis, a label, when perhaps, not always of course, but perhaps it is a sin-diseased heart that only Jesus can heal. And we must be careful that we are not deceived by the reclassification of sin, the redefining of morality taking place in our society, in our law courts. Because if we do that, if we, if we drink that Kool-Aid, then we cease to be the children of God in a crooked and depraved generation in which we can shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. Finally, I want to talk about who God is angry with in verse 18. It's those who suppress the truth. We've talked about the truth as being ultimate reality, existence. We've talked about this idea of suppressing is to muffle, hold down, don't let it go free, detain, restrain. So God is angry at those who suppress the truth. I've got this picture off the internet of a, of a full tank of gas with tape over it. <laughs> you know, driving a car, can you imagine driving a car and you're, you're running on empty, but no, no, you're, you're going to suppress the truth of that. You're just going to just tape it on full and live the deceived life. God is angry with any person who by their unrighteousness <clears throat> suppresses the truth. And when the truth doesn't find its home in our hearts, in our minds, when reality of truth, what is true, if it doesn't find its home within us, and if instead we suppress it, we put it in a box and lock it up and say, we don't want to look at that, then God's wrath is being revealed upon that person. As Jesus said, men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The current Faith Today magazine that some of you might receive has an article in it called The Long and Winding Journey to Faith. And the author speaks about the fact that in the pandemic that we're in right now, in a recent Angus Reid poll, that there are more Canadians turning to prayer. This is wonderful. More Canadians turning to prayer. In fact, it also says that 20% of Canadians have been helped or assisted by some church, which is incredibly great. We, we need to be the ones that are out there loving on people, praying for people. God opened their eyes to the truth of God. Same article talks about two categories that are being demographically followed in Canadian culture, and they are described as the nuns and the duns. Now, the nuns are those who have never had any 
uh, engagement in faith. They are biblically illiterate. They don't understand uh, things like what a crash or a, a nativity scene is. They don't understand Noah. They don't know Moses. They don't know much about Jesus. The nuns, they have nothing to do with faith. We're seeing more of those in Canada. But, but then there's the duns, and that is those who are saying, I'm done with faith. They're, they're saying, I'm done with the church, organized religion. I'm done with this Bible and its truth. I'm done with these, these ideas. I'm done with God. Some of them are saying, I'm done with God. Many of them are not. Many of them are simply have had a harsh religion, even in a church, instead of a grace religion, a grace community, which is to our shame. So many of them are saying, I'm done. I'm done with this. Friends, maybe you know some of the nuns or of the duns. God, God wants you and I to have them on our radar, to have them in our prayer life, to have them in our relationships so that we would have the opportunity to say there's truth, there's reality. You can't suppress it. The, the wrath of God is being revealed against this but the righteousness of God has been revealed as well. Let's go back to that lighthouse that I talked about at the beginning of my message. And um, there's two things that I think that we need to be so careful of. Number one is we need to speak the truth. And in the next four weeks, there's some hard truths that are going to be spoken. But the second one, equally as important, is that we speak the truth in love and in grace. And, you know, every lighthouse is there for a purpose. We, a ship would be foolish to not alter its course to the lighthouse. But similarly, alter as well, every lighthouse has a lighthouse keeper. <laughs> and uh, those lighthouse keepers don't want any ships running aground. Their very purpose in existence, their very job on earth, is to keep those ships from running aground. And friends, in Christ, I want you to know that's our job. Our job is to have on our radar those that are navigating the seas of godlessness and of unrighteousness and of a slippery slope of morality and postmodernity and so on and tell them, pray for them, hopefully show them what is the true message of Jesus. Oh, that God would make us faithful witnesses of his precious gospel to help them understand and to help them understand not just the truth, but the fact that they are loved. Let's pray. Father, we would, we would ask you to let these words that we have heard today not land with uh, abrasiveness upon any heart or mind. But Lord, let them land with the love of Jesus. Let them land with the initiative of the Father God who, who sees every, every human he's made and loves them deeply. Lord, let them land that way and let them bring forth fruit even as the seed of your word should. We pray this in Jesus' name.